this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. starting to become a habit that I'm opening these episodes with like <laughs> catastrophe stories. Yeah, man. What is these the pipes growing, going, going wonky and now your electricity? What'd you do? Break. Okay. This is, I'll try to keep this short so that I don't bore everybody, but it, <laughs> it does end with um, fireworks, I guess you could say. <laughs> All right. So awesome. was it yesterday or the day before? Um, actually to set up the story a little bit better. I have a reclining chair. That's by the window. So the left of the reclining chair, I have a coffee table that has a few things on it that are plugged into a wall plug. And the chair is, because it's a reclining chair, it has power. It's plugged into the wall plug. And then on the other side of that, I have a lamp and a HomePod. And the lamp is like from 1960-something. So it was one of my grandparents' lamps. Right. And so I've got all this stuff running. Half of it's running into... Had all this stuff, half of it running into... A surge protector plugged into this wall plug. And then I... Have you ever seen those things? You know, like your normal wall plug only has two plugs. Yeah. But you can screw in a different face on it that gives it six. Have you ever seen that? Uh, no. Okay. Oh, I'll, I'll find a picture later and put it up on the Instagram. Screw, And I know ones where you just plug it in and then it just makes more. Yeah. This one, it, you actually screw it into the face plate. So I had one of those plugged in. And I'm watching TV, sitting in the chair the other night. And I hear this pop. I'm like, what the fuck was that? And then I smell, I don't know if you've ever smelled electricity. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that metallic smell. No, it happens every time. Yeah. Before every uh, time we record and I plug my um, power supply for my laptop in in this room, Mm -hmm. I have a little extension cord coming out of the wall and it's got um, a little fan and a TV plugged into it. But when I plug into the backside, every single time, it's like those toys that we had when we were little where, uh, like with a Godzilla toy, where if you rolled the little spinner, <laughs> it like sparked in its mouth. That happens inside this thing every time. And you get a quick, you know, little whiff of ozone and uh, a couple sparks pop out. Um, yeah, so I have that happen um, every every Monday. 
Ooh, that sounds fun. One yeah, day, I, uh, I keep, I keep waiting for it to light on fire. But. <laughs> might want to take care of that one day. <laughs> eh, I'll get around to it. So anyways, like this thing pops, I smell that and I'm like, oh, that's not good. That's not, I know what that smell means. So I unplug everything and I'm looking and I'm like, you know what it was? It was probably, a, I, I, pop, I blew the fuse on mm-hmm. this um, surge protector. Mm-hmm. So I'm smelling it. I'm like, yeah, I guess the smell's kind of coming from there. So I threw the surge protector away. And now I'm looking at that thing that I have plugged into the wall that makes two plugs into six. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need that. Let's just get rid of that too. So I threw that away, just went back to the two plugs. Yeah, old school. Kicking it old school. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, there's only two plugs there. So I found, you know, I moved some things around across the room so that there's only two things plugged in there. And then yesterday, I'm sitting there and no sound, but I get that smell again. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's when it's scary. And I'm like, oh, yeah, kids, for anybody that doesn't know anything about electrical, if you get that smell, there's a part of your brain that's thinking, is that in the wall? Yeah, my wall. There's a there's a fire inside my wall right now. Yeah, so basically, if I guess there's going to be a lot of visual aids for this episode. <laughs> when when you have a socket in a wall, there's there's usually at least two screws on it. Three mm-hmm. if it's if it's a modern house. Our house is old, so we don't have a ground um, because it was pre 1962. So there's nothing grounding it, but we have. For all intents and purposes, you have a positive and a negative going in. It's not really what they are, but from battery terminology, you guys will kind of get that. Right, right. So when you, when the wires that go into these copper wires, they're covered in plastic. You've all seen this before. The reason that they're covered in plastic is because if they don't, they will shoot electricity off the wire and ground to the nearest metal thing. Hmm. So that insulation prevents that so that the electricity only comes out the end of the wires. Um, so when you have something like that in the wall, what can happen is that insulation melts off and then it could spark to something in the wall. And then that's how you get electrical fires that you guys hear about all the time. You know, this house burned down because of electrical fire. It's because the insulation melted off mm-hmm. of the wire. So you, you you take it out and you look for that kind of stuff. So I'm like, oh, fuck Take take this plug out and replace this plug. So today I go, you know, nothing's plugged in, so the the, the circuit's not complete, so there's nothing to worry about. So I go to Home Depot, buy everything, and even got some rubber gloves. So I'm like, oh, just an extra level of protection if it's sparking. And I come home, and I'm like, all right, I'll replace it tomorrow. I come home today. I so the Home Pod and the chair, where I I sent them to an, a a plug. A different plug. Just those two things plugged into it. And I'm sitting on my bed hmm, 15 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Looking at something on my phone. I think I was reading a book or something on my phone. And I get up off the bed and I step over the cord, the HomePod cord. And when I step over it... Actually, what clar- needs clarification, I'm not using the chair at the time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I'm not using the HomePod at the time. These things are not being used. They're just plugged in. I step over the cord and it sparks. Did you touch the cord? Nope. Okay. Just stepped over it, which means that just, it was trying to... Just your own, your own body... It was trying to arc to my foot, essentially. Yeah, yeah the inherent... Yeah, the, the water that's in your body and the electricity that you... Yeah, yeah, okay. So I'm, I have carpet in this room, so I'm thinking, fuck, okay. okay. 
I reached down and I grabbed the cord. You know, I got to yank the cord. I got to unplug it. You know, I don't want the spark to light this, you know, whatever. Right, yeah. Yeah. When I go to grab the cord, the cord arcs to my hand. So for anybody that doesn't know what that means, it means I reached for the cord and electricity jumped off the cord into my hand. To me. (laughs) And uh, so I go out there and I'm busting my ass on on the boxing or on the bag and I'll flip open, you know, rip open the glove and I'll look and it's like 101. That's nuts. So I'm like, wow, I have like so much more room to improve now because now I have, you know, I can get my, I can get to the point where I have this stamina to get up to 130. And that 130 is such a higher ceiling now because of this beta blocker. Yeah, that's actually really cool. Um, That's interesting to, I wonder, I wonder if that's universally true. Like, I got to try that. Well, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't actually suppress your heart rate something that people don't understand about beta blockers they think it's like a narcotic it's a it's a hormone essentially and what it does is it tells your body to like either i'm not sure on this it's one of the two it either tells your body not to produce more adrenaline or it tells your body to ignore the adrenaline and to not use it interesting so for people with anxiety or people with um trauma um especially you know like a ptsd and stuff like that where they're just dumping adrenaline into their body, this is a good way to do that without having to dope them up. Some people like me, unfortunately, when I first started taking the beta blocker, and then now it's an up dosage, it's almost like I started taking it again. The first couple weeks, I'm drowsy, but that usually goes away as I acquaint myself with with the dosage. Sure. So yeah, I mean, the whole week, this whole week, I've been sleeping in two hours later than I normally would. How often... Do you, I mean, when did you start taking the beta blockers? Mm, I think five years ago. Gotcha. Hmm. And that was just for blood pressure. Sure. But I think now, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's all a guessing game. Health is, to some degree, is a guessing game. I think that my blood pressure was high because I think I had this adrenaline thing going on underneath um, for the whole time. And that's what was raising my blood pressure. Sure. And you just didn't know it this entire time. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I lucked out because this is the perfect medication for that because it treats anxiety and blood pressure. Jeez. <laughs> I was a little bit nervous, actually, before starting this one, just because last week I had that huge heart rate spike right before we started. And if, if for anybody out there who's never had like anxiety or panic attacks, unfortunately, they're very associative. So, uh, for example, if you have one in a grocery store, the, t- the chance of you having one in another one in a grocery store is, is higher because it, it's almost like your body um, anticipates what happened last time. Um, and that's what, almost what was happening tonight. I was like, okay, okay, stay calm. So I had to like sit and meditate for like 15 minutes today before I even started getting ready for this just so that even though I'm on the medication, I still would have had um, somewhat of a spike if I got anxious. Sure. So I probably would have gotten up to like 130, not like 180 like last week. <laughs> yeah, that was a little terrifying. Like, I can't believe that happened right in the middle of the episode. You know, what's crazy is um, when the next day, yeah, th- on Friday, when I went in for the, I had already scheduled it, but I wanted to make sure my heart was healthy. You know, they kept telling me that this skipped heartbeat thing was, um, it was called a PVC. You know, it was like, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. But if you want to be 100%, go in and do the stress test. And 
if you guys have seen the Santa Claus, when he goes to the doctor and he makes him run on the treadmill with his big gut, uh, that's what I had to do. Um, <laughs> way more awesome treadmill. Um, but yeah, I was anxious before going in. So my heart rate was already at like 111 before I even got on the treadmill. <laughs> and so I started running and, and this thing, and like basically you start out walking, you're very slow. And like she, she even said, she's like, you're going to be bored the first two minutes. Um, and every two minutes it increases in speed and then the incline gets steeper. Mm. So by the end, like you never actually, I never got up to running. I don't think you actually ever get up to running probably because they don't want you to injure your knees. Um, but I was like walking as fast as I possibly could at the end and it was pretty steep. And I would say like probably over a 45% incline. Um, and my heart rate was like at 170. And then all of a sudden I had an adrenaline dump. I've told you this, but the audience doesn't know this. I had an adrenaline dump while it was on there. So they're, they're completely, there's a cardiologist and a technician sitting there watching this. And my heart rate spiked up to 200. And if wow. people don't know a lot about hearts, that's like far above heart attack range. Yeah, that's um, dramatic. Holy shit. And uh, Dude, I went to the hospital with 180. How the hell did you get to 100 or 200? I, I don't know and I don't want to know. Oh my God. That's <laughs> it's so probably, I mean, I was running on a treadmill and I had a panic attack at the same time. That's how. That's you know, madness. They, they stack up. But I hear the technician going, doctor, doctor, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> As my heart rate's going up. <laughs> never the worst part about this, though, is um, first of all, I would suggest anybody that has any worries about your heart, go in and do this just so that you can say, you know, like the, they can tell you what's going on with your heart. You know, if you really, really want 100%, do this and then go get us, you know, a, 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 I think it's electrocardiosonogram where they take um, pictures of your heart. But this, uh, go in and do this. But be aware that when you go in, they're going to hand you a piece of paper that will probably be the most terrifying piece of paper anyone's ever handed you before. <laughs> and it's the release. Uh, and, the release. And the release says, you know, that tells you this is what's going to go on. And sometimes um, this leads to blah, blah, blah. And in some cases, heart attack. And then the last part. And sometimes death. And then you have to sign your name right under the word death. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, I wonder, I mean, it's a morbid and terrible question to ask, but I wonder how many people have died doing that. I don't think too many because... Yeah, I can't imagine. It's got to be like a few. Well, you're in the hospital, so the I'm sure that in the cabinets right there, they've got some nitroglycerin tablets sitting right there. Sure, and some EpiPens and some various other things, yeah. Yeah, well, you don't want to give EpiPen to somebody who's having a heart attack. Oh, good point. <laughs> that will kill them. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's that's nuts. But yeah, I mean, it's it speaks to such a funny thing that that I've always, as advanced as we think we are as as, as little, you know, smart monkeys, um, we have so little of the actual human body figured out, and most of medicine is still to this day as advanced as we are. I'm not I'm not talking shit on on modern medicine or anything like that because obviously, you know, having the ability to do an EKG and then do a CAT scan is much better than burying a fucking toad in your your backyard and hoping that that'll bring you good luck for a year you know so i mean the perspective is vastly different don't get me wrong but we're so at the very beginnings of our understanding of what we need to do to take care of ourselves and heal ourselves well yeah i think that one of the things that people don't really grasp when it comes to medicine in general is just how many factors 
are involved. You know, even if you just take diet, you know, like um, people always say, like, why does this diet say this is healthy and then this one says this and then this says this? It's because you can't mitigate factors enough to be positive. You know, I I can't tell you for sure that because, you know, uh, you ate raspberries every day, you know, three pounds of raspberries every day, you got testicular cancer because this guy over here got it too and he was smoking cigarettes and um, you ate things other than raspberries. Um, I don't know what you were exposed to in your day-to-day life. Uh, you know, what, what, uh, maybe you got some food that had chemical in it. There's so many different factors that play in. And then when you get beyond even diet, which is probably far more simple than what we're talking about. When, when they're looking at symptoms, you know, I have this symptom and I have this symptom. Well, you think about the branch diagram of that and the way that it goes off and all the possible things it could be. It's just ridiculous. Not only that, but from that perspective, I mean, the one thing we don't, we, you have to take into account when you're thinking of all these things is they're all beyond being conditional. Um, they're all individual too as well, you know, because everybody's body is different. Everybody's body's chemistry is different. And the balance within that body chemistry also varies wildly from person to person. So it's a really, I mean, it's it's such a tough challenge because you're right. Like in one diet, raspberries might be totally good for you. And another one, they could potentially kill you. Makes the right things in your body chemistry. Yeah, science is, I mean, science of medicine is just... It's it's vast. It's it's so vast, and yeah, we're just figuring this stuff out, man. And and doctors, they don't have a hundred percent of what they need, anyways. You know, like we're not rab uh, rablets. <laughs> That's a good one. Rablets. Rablets. <laughs> you know, like they're not observing us twenty four seven. Everything that's going into us and everything. So it, maybe we left out one detail that's important. Sure. You know, I mean, just like. Just look up anybody who doesn't have anxiety or hypochondria. If you do, don't do this. Everybody else who doesn't, look up the symptoms of a heart attack. Oh, man. There's so many of them, and it says, might be this, it might be this, it might be this, because for everybody, the way it manifests is completely different. Yep. Which is horrible. You know, for one person, it's like, oh, you have gas. Another person's like, no, you're, you're having a heart attack. Yeah, you need to go to the hospital, like right now. And for this other person, it's just Taco Bell. So weird. So weird. But, you yeah. know, what are you going to do? Got to keep surviving. Well, I guess that's 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 tough, right? Like, I mean, I'm glad I'm not a hypochondriac because I'm an, I'm an over-analytical person as it is. So I imagine if hypochondria were part of the equation for me, I would just be a nervous wreck all the time about my body. You know, anytime I felt something a little different or a little squeezy or a little sore or scratchy, I would just freak out. <laughs> I imagine hypochondria, now this is a complete conjecture, but I imagine hypochondria had to be far more rare before the internet. Oh, sure. Because the internet just seems like it's it's like the worst thing in the world for a hypochondriac. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess the more you know without the basis of that, or without a good basis for that knowledge, the more psychotic you can get about this stuff. Oh, yeah. Like if you have a bump on, you know, like your knee or something, no, we'll say your thigh, get a bump on your thigh. Most people are just going to think, uh, you know, I got a bug bite or I have, um, you know, this is something inane. But the hypochondriac is going to go on the internet and find out the 50, 60 different things that a bump on a random part in your body could be anywhere from cancer to blood clot to anything. And 
you know, most of these these places that are telling you what these things are, they're not telling you st- statistically what the average what the averages are. You know, it's like could be a blood clot, but in reality, it's only 03 percent of the population that it's ever that. Sure. Huh. So, if you guys wanted to get cheery thinking about your bodies, that's what we're here to tell you. <laughs> your well, body I will, I is will. a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's it's crazy how hilariously unpredictable our subject matters are. I had no idea we'd be talking about this. Yeah. I think it's because we don't plan anymore. <laughs> I'm still I'm still shocked at your hundred and four um heart rate when doing extreme exercise, by the way. That's really crazy to me. I don't understand that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um what I think is it is is in reality my my physical fitness level is not as high as I thought it was. Mm. So for me to get to 104 and be tired means that I am more out of shape than I thought I was. But I wasn't able to get into better shape because my heart rate was that high. So I thought I was hitting the ceiling, mm-hmm. but I wasn't. It was sure. you know artificially spiked by adrenaline. So I was there was an additional 20 beats per minute on there. So... I mean, it's good and it's it's awesome. It's way better than the opposite. <laughs> Man, that is confusing, though. Mm-hmm. And it's it's and I will tell you this: that um, not to go on too long about all this stuff, but the weirdest thing about and I don't know if this will manifest for other people. But the weirdest thing about a tenolol, which is the beta blocker that I'm currently on, um, I don't have experience with any of the other ones, but I imagine they're the same. You can feel it throttling you at certain points. Jeez, and I, I, I don't think. Um, actually, I shouldn't say it's throttling you because it isn't. It feels like it's throttling you. In reality, is your. I don't know how to say this. It, first of all, when your heart, when your resting heart rate's lower, um, for the first couple of days, you feel really uncomfortable all the time because the beats aren't coming when you expect them to come. When you've had a heart rate at 90 for a really long time, and now your heart rate is like 71, um, you feel like you're missing heartbeats. Yeah, that's disconcerting, man. That would freak me out. So you, you feel, <laughs> it feels really weird. But then like when you're, um, when you have that adrenaline problem like I was having, mm-hmm. your workout recovery is longer because the adrenaline keeps your heart rate higher, right? So. Um, this is what I meant by throttling. It's not really throttling. It's just actually putting me back to real levels. But like if I went out there and I got up to 142. Sure. And, and I would usually when I do that, I do some sort of interval workout. So I'll get up to as high as I can get, you know, like to where I feel like I'm okay, I'm getting pretty tired. And then I stop and I just kind of walk around for like a, until my heart rate gets down to another level that I, that I determine. Um, and the reason I'm not using numbers here is because it's different from before and for now. But before I would get up to like 142 and then I would wait until I hit like 110, 105. And then I go back at it again and get back up to like 138, 142. Um, and the time, it would take about two, two and a half minutes to drop down that low. But now it's this is where it feels like it's throttling because I'll get up to like that 105. 101, one, I even try to like, if I can get up to 110, but I haven't done it yet. Um, but I'll get to like 105 and I'll tell myself, okay, when I get back to 85, I'll go back to the bag. And that happens in like 40 seconds now. Jeez. 
So it's like, it feels like it's like, dun, 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 you can feel it dropping. But that's what your body's actually supposed to do. My body's actually functioning the way it's supposed to because it's freed of that adrenaline. So that's that's really disconcerting at first too. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, so let's go back to beta blockers for a sec- for a second. So does that does is it actual adrenaline coursing through your system all the time, or is it does your body just think that it is? It's actual adrenaline. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So that's, that's why. No, no. I mean, that's 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 a recipe for anxiety constantly. Yeah. Well. What, yeah. What What's difficult about adrenaline is, um, once again, not a doctor. This is not. 100% information from what I've seen that adrenaline can last in your system for up to an hour. Mm-hmm. So if you even have like a little minor freak out, you're going to have that that bump up might last as much as an hour. So if you have another little freak out in less than an hour, you're just basically going to continue. And that's basically what was happening to me. I was having little minor freak outs here and there. So it was just keeping me most of the time at an accelerated rate. Sure. So you're just going to heighten state of anxiety constantly, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Jeez. Oh, my God. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a rough month, man. <laughs> yeah, God. I mean, so so describe the feeling, though. Like, what would it actually feel like when you were going through it? The anxiety? Normal yeah, anxiety or freak-out anxiety? Like, freak-out anxiety. Is there, like, is there, does it feel like a panic attack constantly? Um... It feels like, first, you're just super aware of everything. Um, if, here's how it manifested the first time. Um, it started with those little weird things, those flutterings, those heart skipping, which, by the way, if anybody's been following along, um, the cardiologist says those things are really common and completely benign and not to expect that they're going to go away, but they will lessen with the medication. Got it. Um, so it started with those and I was literally doing nothing. I was like, I had just bought that Kindle and I was like reading it. And so that thing happened. So usually to be triggered by something weird happening in my body, not always, but a lot of times, um, in this case, it was that fluttering. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, have you ever had that feeling when you're in the house and there's a noise and you got to get up and check it out? Yeah, and you've got like that slight, almost. It's hard to describe it. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure every, I'm sure everyone in the world knows exactly what you're talking about. You have an edge, and like I don't know if um, if this is common for women, but I know that when talking to men in that situation, that there's you kind of start to begin to understand how somebody could kill someone. You know, sure. like if someone came out at you and you're, you know, you're like, I would stab them if they jumped out at me. Yeah, in that um, heightened state, sure. That's where you are. Mm. you're at that place. Your heart rate's up. You're super alert. You can hear everything. And because you can hear everything and your, height, your senses are heightened, you can hear your own heartbeat. Oh, geez. Sometimes you hear it in your ears, but mostly you can hear it in your neck and your chest. And then because of that, you can't ignore it. That sounds awful. So then you become acutely aware of how fast it's beating. And the moment you become acutely aware of how fast it's beating, it's going to go up at least 10 if you have anxiety, sure. because sure. now the adrenaline's starting to empty, right? And then if you're you're dumb enough to have an Apple Watch or a Fitbit, and you start looking at your heartbeat monitor, <laughs> you only make it worse. But it just feels like um, it's fight or flight is the best description of it. It really is, where you're just like, 
I'm ready to go and something's wrong and you're in a tunnel. You know, you could, you could tell yourself, this is the thing that when you have an abundance of adrenaline, when you have a severe anxiety disorder, all of these things that people tell you about stress management, they're not useful because those things are useful for normal stress management. And stress and anxiety are two different things, first of all, but we'll, we'll, we'll let that go for now. But your normal anxiety, yes. You know, if you, you're feeling anxious and your heartbeat increases 10 through breathing techniques and stuff like that, you can bring it back down 10. Like now with the beta blocker, I can, I can literally on the drop of a dime, I can drop my heart rate by eight in like 12 seconds. I have that much control. But when you don't have that control, when you have an abnormal amount of adrenaline and anxiety, you no longer have that control of your body. So in, in some circumstances, breathing techniques makes things worse because now you're paying attention to your breathing and you're breathing deeper. So your body starts to feel like it's maybe even panicking more. Sure. So it's, I mean, it's, you could be sitting there trying to, you know, a lot of people say, oh, don't think about it. Just yeah. when, when people say that, just, I mean, they don't understand and be grateful that they, they, they don't understand because they never experienced it. They're lucky. Um, but it's not something you can ignore. Just like you couldn't ignore a sound, you know, the sound of someone um, picking at the lock on your front door. You're not going to be able to ignore, you know, an accelerated heartbeat that you can hear in your own ears while you're watching TV. It's just not something you're going to be able to tune out. Sure. So you kind of, I mean, it's, I think that this is weird to say in some way, I don't know if I mean this, so I'll have to take back some of this at the end. In some way, I wish that everybody could go through a small bout of anxiety. Um, not because a small bout of serious anxiety, not because I want them to have the continuing problem because once you have anxiety, it's more bound to come back. Um, but because it, it does something to your personality, it changes you. Um, it tames you. Um, because you're continually battling this thing and every day, there's at least four or five times where you just have to surrender or you just have to go, okay, well, because you, with, with, this, with this in your system, there's also a voice in your head that's always saying you're dying. So you have this feeling of doom. And at a certain point, you just have to be like, fine. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Because there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it, right? Sure. Unless you're going to go to the ER every time. And well, nobody's that loaded. So... It's, it's, I think that it does something. I know I can see the changes it's made in my personality. And it makes things like all these things that um, anybody that's been listening long enough knows that like when I talk about the importance of gratitude and the importance of people and all these other things, it brings those things to the forefront because all of a sudden those things make sense and they don't seem silly because you're like, oh, that, you know, if this takes 1% of the edge off and this takes 1% of the edge off and this takes 1% of the edge off, well, that's 3% of the edge and I'll take that 3%. Sure. And they're, they're actually, those things are far more valuable than 1%, but it's just random numbers. Ah, but anyways, let's talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody out there with anxiety though, deal with it. You know, like um, 
talk to somebody, go in and, you know, I'm not saying medication is the right thing. I didn't want the medication, but sometimes um, I couldn't control it anymore. After, after five years, I couldn't do it without the medication. Yeah, and for some people, obviously, it's, it, it, it manifests itself in different ways too. So for some people, it's, you know, I, I, I'm such a huge advocate of taking care of your mental health on top of that too, um, given how, how quickly and, and, and dramatically you can descend into really damaging physical problems if you don't, if you don't mentally check in with yourself every once in a while. Right. And it compounds. It really compounds over. So, you you know, like uh, what is a minor problem that's not dealt with over time will become a major problem. Just like anything else in your body. Remember that, you know, like if you ignore a bump um, that's there for like a year and in it's still, you know, it's still there after a year. Well, if you wait 10 years, guess what? That, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. If it's been there a year, it's not good. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's same with your brain you got to deal with the bumps in your brain you know i was just reading this book i just finished this book um because of when we were talking about some of the more paranormal stuff like at the beginning of the season i i had bought just a bunch of random books and you know i'm 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 fascinated by this stuff but i'm also fairly skeptical and first of all i will i will say this this is not a good book <laughs> <laughs> but it was an interesting book and it's it's called uh, many lives many masters and it is uh it's also i read this partially because of a writing project as well and there was some research involved there um but it's about uh past lives past life regression this guy's supposedly is a psychiatrist although <laughs> mm-hmm. his, his, his writing ability <laughs> makes me question that to some degree um and I'm not going to go through the whole book, but one of the things that I found interesting, and I'm not saying that I believe this is true. In fact, I I think that um, it's something that I have a lot of questions about, but that is really fascinating at the same time is, so the story of this book is essentially this one woman comes in and he does hypnosis with her and she kind of like starts jumping into past lives. That's the basis of the book. And he has no experience with that before. Um, but what's really fascinating is that in this story, we'll pretend it's a fictional story. He, as he guides her through these past lives, um, she's, oh, she goes in, I forgot to say, she goes in because she's having terrible anxiety, terrible panic attacks, um, probably things like way worse than even what I've experienced. And as they go through these sessions, he's not trying to do anything to heal her. He's just literally letting her guide him through these things. But in the process of retelling these past lives, she slowly starts to get better. And um, like she feels these, um, one of her, one of her panics is that she's choking. Well, after like, um, I think it's like the second week of sessions, um, she takes him back to a past life where like, I think in one of them, she was like, her throat was cut as a young soldier. Another one, she was choked. Um, and as, as she like relives these things without even working her way through them, like therapy, just reliving them, she's like freed of them. And I found it really interesting. Just number one, because I'm not sure in this case, I, I do, I, I do think that, that um, reincarnation is a possibility, but I don't think that that's, 
this case doesn't feel like this is reincarnation. It's just really <laughs> weird. Um, there's just, I mean, I guess I should clarify a little bit so I'm not super confusing, but like she doesn't know things that you would know if it's like your past life. You know, like he says, what's your name? And she's like, I, I don't see that. I don't know. Well, how is this your past life if you don't fucking know your name? <laughs> Where are you? I'm not sure. Um, so what, what actually is touched on for one second in the book, but I actually went off in my head a little bit, is Jung's idea of the collective unconscious. You're familiar with that? Yes, I am. So actually, since I've been talking so much, do you want to kind of explain the collective unconscious? That's kind of twice that it's come up um, in the last week and a half for me. Um, I mean, it's been a while since I've read the actual, the actual, you know, um, archetypes in the collective yeah, unconscious. Yeah, exactly. But but ultimately, it's it's a collective memory that that is shared um, through your uh, your lineage, your history, your your, your cultural history, um, your genetics, basically. Yeah, basically. On. So I mean, the, the 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 concept that the reason why I came up in a conversation lately is because there's a concept of of, of this thing called cellular memory um, that your 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 actual DNA remembers. Um, and that is being that that is being introduced as an idea um, to support the <clears throat> collective unconscious. Yeah. So what what I found interesting about that idea, the reason I bring it up is, so maybe in this case we'll say that she's you know suffering some sort of trauma from memories from this collective unconscious, and I, I just, the idea of being freed of those things from from the past. That maybe um, it's almost like repressed memories, but they're from other lives, right? Maybe even lives that weren't yours. It reminds me a lot of um, of the idea that I said earlier about anxieties stacking up. And there's, I think, what got me through this book so much is just the idea of being freed of things that are attacking you from um, from blind spots was really compelling because it it just appealed to me so much. Where I'm like, oh. I wish I had past lives I could go through <laughs> that maybe were causing this, that I can clear this shit up because this is too much for me. So I have no way of scientifically proving it one way or the other. But I definitely do feel like somewhere throughout the vein of, of human existence, there is a through line, um, an almost continuous stream of consciousness that does pass itself along to us from generation to generation and from person to person. Um, you know, obviously, and and knowing if anyone, obviously, there are not very many people who listen to this podcast and know me personally, but you'll you'll know inherently how skeptical I am the first hour and a half that you talk to me, and so for me to to come to um, a conclusion that something like this is inherently possible is it, it requires a pretty big leap of faith. Um, but I definitely do think there's something to it. You know, the, the idea of it's always fascinated me and the, the, the archetypes that, that are, are inherently part of, like, I think the, the archetypes were, were kind of stolen and, you know, in, in various um, fictional forms. But I think the clearest version of it is the, the one that's used for Game of Thrones. Um, but I mean, obviously, I don't have any of this in front of me. So this is all coming off the top of my head. Um, but I, I do think that there's something to it. You know, I definitely do think that that throughout the course of human history, there are there are scar points um, that that have definitely lashed themselves to our subconscious that 
I think will remain with us until a long enough period of time has has softened them or or pushed them far enough back that they don't become conscious thoughts anymore. And I think what what's far too common, um, especially among atheists, um, which I would I would count myself in that group to some degree, even though I'm I'm probably more of an agnostic. Um, the the thing that becomes far too common is we accept this idea of okay when you die it's done your life's over with um but then we we don't actually stop to think about how when you really dig into that idea it lacks a lot of logic um and in a sense that it seems to contradict the logic of other parts of the universe that the rest of the universe if if we're to believe science which i do um not all of it, because I know that some of it is just, you know, growing and burgeoning. Uh, but if we're to believe science, that things operate by a very intricate, far in- more intricate than we could even imagine system. That there's some systematized, um, you would almost stretch to use the word reason. You know, that the, uh, a flower dies and decomposes. Why? Because then it puts nutrients back into the soil and that nutrients goes back into another plant. So you have this cycle. There's this reasoning to it. That's what I mean when I use the word reasoning. I'm not going into uh, whys of, of existence, but there's a reason to the why things happen the way they happen in science. And then if you take that and apply it to the concept of human consciousness and to think that we die and then that is it, that seems really stupid. Seems inefficient, yeah. It seems like it is like it's just uh, if we okay, well that one thing is just completely arbitrary. Oops, sorry. I mean it's possible, of course, because we don't know, but it seems stupid. Um so to believe either in a collective unconscious that yes, maybe we all do just die, but that something that we've learned in this life is um uploaded you know, to this grand consciousness that brings a reason to it and a logic to it that maybe is lacking or um, the idea of of reincarnation. You know, you see in science, like I said, with the plant thing, uh, nothing dies, nothing, what is it? Nothing is created nor destroyed. Yep. Everything is recycled. Well, why wouldn't the human soul be recycled? You know, I know there's no proof that we have human soul, but there is definitely something that makes us different than a stone. Well, let's take let's take the soul aspect out of the equation for a second, right? Let's just take the 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 collective experience of you know, like for a human body, for example, right? Like all these collective experiences that we have throughout the course of our lifetimes. Um, you know, we assume that it's all stored in one particular place in the brain. You know, the hippocampus determines um, the 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 course of your memories and how they're shaped and all that kind of stuff. But how 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 do we how can we completely remove the possibility that our bodies remember that? You know what I mean? Um, that the the, 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 the nucleuses of our cells retain some information um, that we've gathered throughout the course of our lifetimes. And as we die and that gets recycled back into um, the universe again, how do we know that, that that knowledge isn't then in whatever small and ununderstandable form that we have as, as, as creatures now, how do we know that, that that experience itself is not recycled back into 
the, the universe in whatever form, like whether it's into the soil and then into a plant that's then eaten by another human, which then, you know, lashes onto some part of that, that subconscious understanding that, that transcends individuals. There's, I mean, the older I get and the more that I contemplate these things, and I'm, I'm actually contemplating this from a very cynical point of view, the yeah, more things like this seem logical. Yeah, same here. I'm, I'm, I completely agree with you. It, I would have called bullshit on myself at 20 immediately. And it, you know it's, what I mean? it's, a, it's an unfortunate bias because we can look at so many other things with, with relative logic. And then we believe that this is logical. But when you actually really dig into it um, and you really start pushing on the boundaries of it, it doesn't stretch. It just, it's brittle and it starts to shatter. And it seems really, really dumb. And I can't think of a lot of things in the universe that are just plain dumb. You know what I think part of it is too? I think, you know, I, I, and this is definitely true. Like, I mean, I, I you know, um, whether it's uh, the stuff that I studied in, in, in psychology or like, ad, I actually studied adolescent psycho- psychology for a while. And one of the things that, that, that is very necessary when you're young is a very black and white world. You know, you need to know why things are the way that they are. You need to know that fire is hot and that, you know, water is wet and that snow is cold. But as you get older and older and your your mind transcends the tangible, you then can allow yourself the ability to to grasp at the intangible and be okay with not having answers that are just yes or no. And I think that's that's part of it. That's definitely true for me. Um, is that I feel like as I, I get older, I wonder differently. I'm amazed differently. Um, and I contemplate the universe with I believe to be a, what I believe to be a broader um, acceptance that anything is possible um, and that I don't have all the answers. And I think that has to come with... It comes with age, it comes with wisdom, and more importantly, I think it comes with confidence. The more you know about yourself, the more you're willing to accept that you don't know about the universe. Now, there's certain boundaries that... They break down once they're they separate from ego, and as as most people get older, um, they begin to separate from their ego more and more. Um, and maybe it's kind of like what I was saying before: life, to some degree, beats the ego out of you. Um, but <laughs> the idea of, <laughs> of of the human soul—I don't, I don't know why I thought that was so funny. For some I don't reason. know. Were you were you thinking that I was making a masturbation reference there? Yeah, a little bit. And then I <laughs> and then I thought back to the boxing, and then I I thought of how. Like weirdly, how weirdly perfect it is considering you're talking about ego and how the collective unconsciousness and Carl Jung kind of gave way to psychoanalysis from Freud and like it all weirdly ties together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but what's weird to me about it is that we, we, we discount the idea of, and this is going, this is hard terminology to use without um, sounding like I'm drifting into religion, which I'm not, but the idea of a human soul. Um, When most most um, scientifically minded people would find the idea of a soul um, at least dubious, if not completely ridiculous. Yet at the same time, there's more evidence that there is something that change that that is different in a living creature than in a non living creature. Than there is evidence of black holes, dark matter, and until recently, the Higgs boson. Yeah, but we believe those things exist, and that's not ridiculous to us at all. Even though, for the most part, to be honest, black holes are complete fiction. We have never seen one. But we can see that when I hold this coffee mug and I put it next to my head, guess what? I'm fundamentally different than it. 
You know, like I, I have a contemplation of my own existence. I'm, I mean, like what we're doing right now. And if the word for that I will use is soul, because there is no other word for that. You know, it's fascinating too. Like, I mean, one of the, the, the and it's weird that how, how little we question about the human experience when it comes to that kind of thing, right? Like if you contemplate science for what it is, and then you think of something like empathy, empathy is actually a pretty remarkable thing. Um, it's, 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 I, I'm not even sure where I'm going with this. I just know that I'm fascinated by those concepts right now. You know, like the, the, the idea that, that human empathy can stretch beyond a certain point, like you can cry at a movie. I mean, our ability to, to, to rationalize our, you know, to have the empathy necessary to, to, to feel what another person's feeling is pretty remarkable. And it stretches far beyond the bounds of what you would say is needed for survival. Of course. Which is all, if we are going to be strictly scientific, that's all we need. And that's technically all we should have. Unless there's some other like thing we're saying, you know, like this collective con- unconscious that we're collecting experiences, you know, there, that there's some other meaning, there's some other purpose to the universe that we have yet to unravel because we're so tiny and we have learned so little and we have not been here long enough to understand all of this stuff. Ah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me because I just, I don't I, I I had another point. I, I completely lost it. Can't remember, <laughs> which is okay. It happens. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's going a weird. This conversation is going into places that even you and I have never gone. Um, mm-hmm. In the sense that I feel, I feel, I feel lost at how big the contemplations are that we have in front of us right now. You know, because I mean, we're we're now talking about stretching back through the span of human history. And it, imagine, imagine if we if we somehow figured out that that were true, right? Like if we if we somehow one day had a scientific understanding that was broad enough and deep enough that we could define that sense of social unconsciousness and the the idea of a a societal memory, like just a cellular memory that transcends the individual. I mean, think of how how inherently different we would have to look at our own species and our, our traversing through history. Um, the moment that becomes true. Well, you know, I think that some of the reason that our development into things like this, um, either proving or disproving things like this, is has been so incremental is because we waste so much time with human disagreements. You know, like the, the wars and, and politics and all this other shit that we waste our time with. The, I mean, go back and I... I mentioned this before, but I watched the CNN 80s thing, um, and which is fantastic, by the way. And I recommend that to anyone, um, especially if you lived through the 80s. Maybe if you didn't, it's not as interesting. But go back and when you watch, there's like two or three episodes where they're talking about the politics of the 80s and how detached you are from it and how completely unthreatening anything in it is because it's that meaningless that in 30 years, what was you know, like we could be nuked at any time by Russia. That was a real threat. Um, probably a more, in some ways, a more frightening and dangerous time than we continually tell ourselves that we're in right now. Um, but 30 years later, it doesn't mean shit. It doesn't mean a damn thing. So we waste all of this time with these things that don't mean anything in 10, 20, 30 years. And and I, I think a lot of that is tied to language. We're just, we're in, we're our inability to actually communicate between two human beings. 
Um, that's why even though like all this VR stuff, I mean, uh, virtual reality stuff, I think is terrifying and, and kind of stupid. Um, I, I like this idea. It's also terrifying. Don't get me wrong because I can't conceptualize it. But the idea that one day they'll be able to um, have devices that people will be able to communicate thought to thought without having to use words because it opens the door for the possibility of all of this stuff going away. Wasn't that an episode of Black Mirror? Probably. Like, I, mean, I wouldn't doubt it. Or, or I want it to be one. Um, basically, the idea is if, if you could hear everyone's thought, would you want to? <laughs> I think, well, I mean, first of all, it's, 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 it's not necessarily you would have to hear everyone's thought, right? You know, you're not trans. It's kind of like, um, I don't always have to speak for you to, for you to, you know, like I can keep some things inside of me and just like thoughts, you know, you can project one to somebody or you cannot. But I mean that you wouldn't be projecting words. You'd be projecting the pure idea so that you wouldn't get caught in like right there. Like if I had projected my pure idea to you, I wouldn't have to reiterate exactly what I meant because maybe the first time I I lacked um, the finesse needed to make sure that you understood exactly what I was saying. But if that, given that that's the case, would you, if you're projecting an idea for me uh, or to me, would that would that idea still be interpreted interp- interpreted through filters that I've built up over my lifetime? No, I don't think so because I think all of our filters are tied to language. Oh, interesting. Sure. I mean, because, human history human history doesn't exist without language. So I hear you. Well, I, I I would say that. What's this is why that idea of it is is both um, beautiful and terrifying because I question whether human consciousness exists without language. Oh sure, huh? I mean, historically, they kind of showed up around the same time, didn't they? Yeah, as far they as we know, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm talking about going into deep topics that we are not prepared to go into. There's yeah, nice holy thing. crap! I mean, I feel like I feel like this is a very different conversation than we've ever had before i mean this i mean i i think if you you've read city of glass by paul Astro, right of course yeah so so the idea of a purity of language like the idea that that there's some kind of universally spoken language and all of these languages that we've made up are just constructs that simplified that language um for the masses um I don't, do you think that that's possible? Like there's, there's some pure form of language out there that we just don't quite understand? No, not as long as it's verbal. Mm. Because the, the transference of thought into sounds, you lose something every time. I mean, how many times have you said something and not been able to say what you actually were thinking? Oh, sure. And that's you to you. Yeah. Good point. Um, it's it's just it's 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 frightening to think about, but at the same time, I mean, if something like that were to happen, maybe that's the next stage of human evolution. Yeah, I mean, huh? Weird, I'm, right? And yeah, it's, it's completely feasible. Yeah, it is completely feasible because I mean, it, we we always think of evolution as a physical thing, right? So we and and sure, there's probably a physical component to it, but. You know, so much of, of human evolution, even within the span of time in which we've 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 formed cities and, and groups of people have banded together to form governments and, and write laws and stuff. I mean, there's 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 so much social evolution um, 
and cultural revolution or cultural um, evolution that that all kind of simultaneously happens, and we might be on the cusp of the 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 two of those reaching a point where they have to move together, versus how they've moved in the past, where you know our our our, our physical evolution, I, I, because I think our physical evolution can no longer keep up with our social and technological evolution, right. you know. And so from that perspective, any, any growing we're going to do as a species is going to be a growing that we choose, like a, an evolution that has a, a will, you know, a determination to it that leads to a certain point that is collectively decided upon by society. Well, we might be moving towards, when those three things unite, we actually might be moving towards what you could term as a spiritual evolution, that the spirit of what it means to be human fundamentally changes. Starfleet! And, sorry. <laughs> And that's completely possible because of the fact that um, you think about uh, a caterpillar, right? And, well, if you ask a caterpillar everything about life, and you know, assuming a caterpillar can talk, of course, but you ask a caterpillar everything about life, he's going to tell you about the trees, he's going to tell you about you know the the dirt and all. Everything is going to be contained in his experience, but he doesn't know that he's going to be a butterfly. He doesn't know what it's like to fly yet. He doesn't know that that's even a possibility because he hasn't lived that long enough. And what the physical evolution of the human being may just be the caterpillar stage of our existence. There may be another form of existence that we move into that we can't even conceptualize because our species has not existed long enough. Um, to, to some degree, you can, if you've read um, Childhood's End, by Arthur C. Clarke, that is Clark, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's that's this is this is something that he talks about in that book. Is the, you actually see humans evolve in, uh, to where they no longer need a physical form? And who knows? That's that's completely possible. So maybe all of this collective unconscious is moving us towards that. We don't know, but to assume that we do is actually pretty vain. Yeah, do you know the? Uh, do you, do you have any? Uh, you, do you know what the Kardashev scale is? What the Kardashev scale? No, I haven't heard that before. Um, it's the um, levels of um, civilizations based on a, a scale, um, kind of mocked up by by energy, um, the energy consumption within a, on a planet like Kardashev level one, for example, a, a civilization that's Kardashev level one um, can harness all the power on their own planet. Uh, Kardashev uh, scale level two is within their own solar system. Three is the galaxy, four is the universe. So um, I've, been, I've been kind of fascinated by this whole life on other planets thing and why um, if there is life on other planets, we've never found it um, or have any evidence of it. Um, and one of the, the one of the things um, that um, it, it's called the Fermi paradox. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if there's if there's all this life out there, like why have we not seen any of it? Well, one of the things is that um, one of the postulations I forget who it was. I think it was some Swedish guy who 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 came up with the the concept that at some point in every um, civilization's evolution, they realize they don't have to physically evolve anymore. And once they reach that point, then their their collective consciousness is then uh, built into some form of biomechanical AI that that stores all of their experience as a civilization and expands their experience with as a civilization based on um, almost a, a a far more advanced version of what we consider to be virtual reality. 
Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, it, maybe we're just evolving past a physical form, and maybe at some point, um, these these husks of meat, these fragile husks of meat that decay, will no longer be what humanity is. Well, plus there's two other things that would explain the Fermi paradox too, right? I would think maybe in reality it's a mixture of what you said and two these two things as well. Number one, it's huge out there. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. just came into our neighborhood yet. <laughs> I mean, it, the the lions in the zoo don't know that you know forty feet away there's zebras. That's true. They've never seen them. They just never come around. Uh, of course, I'm taking out the fact that they can smell them. But um, and why? Do you, we we barely even we barely even uh, most of what we understand about our solar system is still pretty much a guess. Totally. And we have no idea even how big it is, right? So who knows? Maybe they're just... See that stuff coming, but I mean, in the long run, I mean, obviously that's going to be a big problem because never in the scope of human history has that level of power been given to one person or organization ever worked out for anyone. (laughs) If everybody shits in the same bucket, eventually the bucket breaks. Yeah, it overflows, sure. And And if that person is literally the only person who offers you a bucket and all other buckets are put out of business, then what are you going to do? You got to shit in that bucket. Mm hmm Shit in the bucket or shit in your hand. Yeah. That's the choice. It really is. It's it's pay the nine dollars or or give your money to Amazon. And hey, you know, by the way, oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Because well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go full non sequitur on you here. Okay. What I was gonna say was because of I'm trying to bite that bullet, I've and not just in my spending, I pulled all of my Amazon. You either purposefully or accidentally destroy yourself. Yeah. And it seems completely feasible when you look at yeah. we ain't far off from it now. Yeah. Watch oh, two people God. have a conversation in a bar and wonder how we made it this far. Yeah, no kidding. Or just, <laughs> just see some children out there in the world. Uh, I don't. I don't mean to say that. I'm sorry, kids. You know, um, actually, I have my list in front of me. This is a good time to jump into something I've had on the list for a long time because oh. it kind of fits into. Oddly, fits in. I don't know what the hell the saying is. There's some kind of. Go to your non sequitur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I agree with you though. I mean, that's it, for better or for worse. I made that life choice, and I've been paying the price for it ever since. And I'm, I've never been as poor in my life, like monetarily, as I am right now. But I, w- I've also Same. never been happier. You know, I can say the first. Like, thing. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I can't repeat I, the I happier live, part. I, I live. I well. Happier is actually the happier isn't even correct. Um, I'm not that happy at all, but I'm fulfilled. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like what I do has meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and and every single day when I wake up and I, I do the things that I do, I feel I feel satisfied at the end of the day that I've done everything that I can to further my own ideals and to help the world in whatever small way that I can. So I guess mm-hmm. that's the better way to put it. Happiness is a completely different thing. Um, and happiness is so subjective anyways. Yeah, happiness is inherently subjective anyway, so it's not like we can really measure that in quantifiable terms here. But I will say that. I feel fulfilled in my life. Um, yeah. And even though I feel like I have a long way to go and I have a lot to learn and I have a lot to do. You saw my post about my top, my top list of the year. My number one show from last year, um, was Broadchurch, season three of Broadchurch. Mm-hmm. And the showrunner of Broadchurch is now the person that's running Doctor Who. And Broadchurch is a stark, realistic show about uh, crime. And it's, I mean, it's powerful. It's, it's a very powerful show. And to see some of that in Who is a little disconcerting and amazing at the same time. 
But I feel like this kind of discussion is something that could be broached on that version of Doctor Who now because it's able to go to that depth now. How much How much of it have you watched? Almost a full season. So we're talking season 11 here for listeners. I mean, from, from a purely um, creative perspective, I mean, how, how is the, the production of the show in comparison to other seasons? Like, is the quality still very much there? The quality makes the other ones look stupid. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Like, yes. the special... I mean, the... Yeah, the special effects. I, like, literally, when I say, like, it looks like a movie, I would put the special effects on par with, like, um, with the Avenger movies. Jeez. Where you're like, oh, that's not a person, but sure, I know that's a CGI generation of a of a creature, but they look like they're really there. Man, I it doesn't so have that sheen. That. I mean, that sheen of cheap CGI. It doesn't. Yeah, have yeah, it. yeah. That that like crappy veneer. Shiny. That, yeah. yeah. Um, you need to I, watch that, it. That makes me very excited because I've always wanted who to go in that direction. And Jodie Whittaker is fantastic as a doctor. It is a little strange. Um, Adjusting to the fact that she's a woman, not because I'm sexist or anything, but after hundreds and hundreds of episodes of a character being a man, um, it's not that I'm watching it going, damn, I wish she was still a man, but I'm watching it and going, wow, she's a great character. And I had to keep reminding myself, by the way, that's the doctor. You know, it just, it doesn't connect. It takes a little while for that to connect. Like, oh yeah, that's the doctor. That's the doctor. Yeah. You keep expecting a man um, just from training. Sure. Um, which I actually is an interesting topic to talk about too. That um, the idea of you know, like when people change sexes, that's yeah. going to be difficult for. Um, I don't. I don't mean um, families who who don't go with um, who who think it's wrong and all that stuff. For people who completely support someone's sex change, to actually conceptualize that, hey, I'm I'm talking to that same person. Because you're expecting a man and now it's a woman or I said it, that's awful. You're expecting a man and now that man is a woman or you're expecting a woman and now that woman is a man. And it, there's, a, there's a part of your brain that has trouble making that switch over. And this, I'm, I'm saying this from personal experience because I know someone who went through a sex change. Um, and there's a part of my brain that I've, I've wanted to talk about this for a while actually. So I'm curious on your input if you've gone through this because I every time I see this person, um, I have to remind myself this is that other person. It, you know, it, I, almost I like have, if they change skin color. I have a very strange perspective on this, actually. Um, so I have been friends with uh, someone who transitioned actually quite some time ago, and I always kind of knew that he was a woman, and so when he transitioned, it actually felt very right. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, I and we we always kind of talked about it, um, jokingly at first, and then seriously later on as we got older. And I, I, she was always a she to me for some reason, and I don't know why that is. Like, it, it, and even even before she knew she was a she to her, it just felt more right for her to be a she. It was very strange. I wonder if certain transitions. Um, like, uh, there's only two kinds, really. But I wonder if a man becoming a woman is easier than a woman becoming a man in conceptualizing. Mm. Perhaps I don't, I, I don't. I don't. I don't have any evidence for that. But I wonder um, because I know that the person I'm talking about um, was born in a female body, 
and it transitioned physically into a male body. And uh, I, I hope that's the right terminology. I'm not completely versed on all this, but um, I it's it's strange for me because um, the voice is deeper, and um, you know, like there's all these cues that you automatically associate with a person. And I, first of all, anybody listening, we're not saying anything is right or wrong here. These are not judgments. I'm just talking about the idea of of understanding someone's changed in a way that um, without surgery is not possible. Um, so your brain is not really trained <laughs> to deal with these kind of transitions, um, at least not naturally, um, which is a really weird word to use in this conversation. And I'm only applying it to the brain and not to anything else. I know that's a sticky word for this stuff. Sure. Um, but your brain automatically, and maybe I should clarify, uh, when I use the word naturally, I'm not saying nature, right or wrong. I'm using natural as in um, this happens automatically, that kind of use of the word natural. You know, like when I come home, naturally, I want to take off my shoes. You know, that kind of thing. 1990s that, and 80s. That is literally one of the weirdest sentences you've ever said. And I mean media, obviously, not like food and shit. Yeah, I was going to say, like, are you going to go get a, a Motorola StarTac and, like, have a flip phone and all that kind of stuff? No, but I mean, I'm going to start. There's something in there. There's something about it that keeps calling me back. And I think what's calling me back is there's there's some kind of mental snag that I have uh-huh. that's coming from, and I, and I mean this in a in a creative way. There's In my creative process, there's some kind of snag that's stuck on the 80s and the 90s the pre basically before the internet boom when everybody was on the internet all the time yeah there's something there it's not the 70s it's not the 60s it's just those eras when i was growing up and i feel if i indulge the media from then i might start to figure out what it is because i think that there's something that i've honestly what i think it is there's something about the way my creativity works that i've forgotten and there's some part of my subconscious that's going, if you go over here, you will find it again. Huh. And I don't know what it is. So I'm about to put myself in a time tunnel. That's an interesting journey. Yeah, I'm not even sure, like, from that perspective, like, what, what is it? Do you have any idea of what it is that you expect to find? No, I don't. That's the, the, <laughs> this, is where, this, is where, <laughs> this is where creativity almost sometimes feels like it crosses over into the paranormal. You know what I mean? Because like what we're talking about could be just as easily interpreted as some conversation about a spirit or something like that, right? Sure. Which is not what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but it does feel like there's a mystery. You know, actually, here's a great example, Lam. Book you and I were just talking about a few days ago, one of your favorite books of all time, Mr. Punch. Uh-huh. Sure. What is that book about? It's about the 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 mysteries in our memory. Sure. And I, that's probably why, like, I, I found that episode so fascinating because I'm like, oh, my God, that's what I've been feeling. And crafted in such a way that only Dave McKeon could craft it visually and written in such a way that only um, Neil, Neil Gaiman could. I mean, ha, did you read their Sandman stuff when they were doing stuff together? I've read Sandman. I haven't read I haven't read Mr. Punch. It's one of the things I'm well, going to buy myself for there's Christmas. There's a ton too. There's also there's also death, the higher cost of living. They did that together. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, Dave McKeon and Neil Gaiman, like they, in a weird kind of way, they defined um, a lot of my my ability to create uh, from a very early age. Like Dave McKeon's um, 
uh, dust covers book. Um, and his mixed media usage was, was so inspiring to me, just purely visually. Like it, it just redefined what was possible with photography and imagery in my mind. Yeah, I think when I heard that it was about mystery and then in the Weird Studies episode, JF mentions how it's similar in a way to Proust. Uh-huh. And the moment he said that, I'm like, okay, I need to read this. Because... I've been feeling, I mean, that feeling of that connection to like some missing fragment from the past, I've been feeling for a long time. Mm-hmm. I had this, I had this notebook I bought, not, sorry, not a notebook, a sketchbook that I bought, I think three years ago. And I had this idea that these images from my past uh-huh. that I had been remembering, I was going to try sketching them. And when I say images from my past, these are like normal things that we have, you know, like you suddenly remember like what the front of some deal with it. You know what I mean? I mean, we don't even have the language yet. I mean, look at how many times I accidentally said it about a human being. Well, I mean, and even understanding purely from a conceptual level, the difference between gender and sex and how that defines a human being is, is, is constantly up for debate at this point. And there's an, there's the edgy, um, there's the edge of it too, where you're like, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I've been very careful in my wording and still, you know, made clumsy mistakes in this, but you're conscious of like, Oh, I, is that how I'm supposed to say it? Because we don't know yet. We haven't been trained yet on, on the way that, you know, and I mean, trained as in the people who, who don't experience this, don't know how people who do want it to be talked about. What, what language do they prefer? We, sure. we don't, we have to train each other. You know, just like um, anything else, you know, like if if you're going to come over my house and um, I don't, I'm one of those people who drive me nuts, by the way, that don't, that make you take off your shoes when you come in their house, um, which is a different topic altogether. <laughs> I have to quote unquote train you, you know, like, oh, remember when you come over my house, don't wear shoes. Well, people do that with language too. I'm like, by the way, I don't like when you use that word. And it's not just offensive words, it's just certain words. Like when you say that word, I think of this. Oh, okay. Which is yeah, very well, different than triggers. I hate triggers. Yeah. We also have to be really careful. Yeah. I was going to say like the next step for me was triggers and, and, and I hate that like, oh, dude, it's, it's obnoxious. Um, People think they have the right not to be offended. And sorry, you don't. Yeah. Um, well, not only that, but I mean, there's a difference between, between being offended and something being incorrect, right? Like if you're choosing to be offended by something, I mean, don't get me wrong, to a certain point, there, there are things that are actually offensive. You know what I mean? Right. But, and purposefully. Yeah. And we, purposefully. We've lost the connection to intent. Yeah, sure. You know, like if, if somebody out there who has transitioned or is thinking about transitioning, heard what I said there and took offense at it, guess what? That's kind of their problem. Because I'm yeah. not trying to offend them. I'm not trying to hurt them. Um, I'm trying to stumble my way through something that I'm, like you said, that's new, that we're learning about. And that's actually their choice. I don't want to do that. I'm not trying to do that. I hope that that, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen. But it's not my fault if somebody takes offense at it because they've made that choice. And it's the same with anything else. You know, like um, somebody could call me a guinea because I'm Italian. I can choose to be offended at that or I can, which most of the time I probably would because usually when somebody says that they're trying to be an asshole. But sure. if I, if I heard somebody trying to describe, I, I don't know, describe what an Italian was to somebody who'd never heard of an Italian, 
then that's my choice of whether I'm offended by that. Yeah, and 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 that also speaks to something that we've talked about on this show, which is, you know, every every situation like that is an opportunity to educate, and so few people choose to do that within that moment. Right, and I think that one of my favorite things about this show is, you know, it potentially anything we say on here is potentially dangerous, in the sense that somebody could freak out, and then we have a Twitter storm of of people attacking us. But I think we have to get past that stage of humanity. We need to get to the stage where where it's okay again to talk about things that we're not sure how to talk about because it's the only way we learn how to talk about them. Sure. You yeah, know, if, we like, don't, if, we, if we don't talk about them, nothing ever gets solved. I guarantee you the next time you and I have a conversation with anyone about uh, transitioning, it will be smoother than this one was because we had this one. And the one after that will be smoother. And, and and especially if we start actually talking to people who have gone through it and educating ourselves from them. But even without that, just talking about it with other people and not being afraid to have those conversations and not being afraid for people to shit all over you on the internet. God, how scared are we to talk about things now as a society? I don't give a fuck anymore. Well, yeah, you don't. But I'm just saying like in general, like most people are, I mean, especially, and I don't know what your, your, perspective is on it as a white male but damn it's the wrong time to be a white male <laughs> you know i don't worry about that because I, I honestly i believe that racism sexism all of these things they're equal in the sense that racism is always racism i don't believe that i don't believe this bullshit about power dynamics changing whether something's racist or not I, if you're I racist that, against yeah. somebody you're racist against them so yeah. if you hate me because i'm white then you're a racist, and that's exactly. your earplugs today to find silence. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I kind of do it on my own all the time. I mean, it's part of the. Re- I mean, I guess as, as much as I, I, I protest these things in my own head, like there, I do find moments to to do that for myself. Like when I go to the when I go to the driving range, for example, or is sexual orientation. That's how they were born, and I think that this. People are playing power dynamics. That's why I really want you to read that the coddling of the American mind because there's a lot about this uh, struggling for, for, for power as like an entertainment form of entertainment that people really just like to tear people down because they go, got that fucker? And they know the yeah. whole call-out culture. But the people yeah. who live within call-out culture live their lives terrified because they know that any moment somebody could call them out for something. Yeah, exactly. And it turns quickly too. Well, that's one of those live live by the sword, die by the sword, right? Like if you if you operate in that environment and you constantly call other people out and you're aggressive about it, sooner or later it's going to come back to you. You know, right. I'm, I'm actually kind of dealing with you know you know I work a little bit in politics and and so I'm actually I've of course I'm not going to name names because I don't want to get dragged out of my house and beaten, but. I'm definitely dealing with that right now in politics, and you'd be you'd be shocked at how rife it is in that in that arena. Well, yeah, because it's a popularity contest. Yeah, and it's it's almost about it's almost about who can be more offended than whom. You know what I mean? Like that's it's such a weird concept to me that people are are, are trying to outdo each other and how offended they are towards things. Well, you know, it's like it's like it's it's actually literally almost the same thing as when you're a little kid. And, you know, someone's, there's someone's, you can, someone's about to pick on you, but you pick on the person next to you to take the attention off yourself. Mm. 
it's the same psychological drive where these people are just like, I'm going to destroy this person. I'm going to destroy this person because then people will think I'm awesome and they won't attack me. And it, it's, it, I mean, it's time to call out, call out culture. Like, come on, let's go back to being reasonable, loving human beings and stop being assholes. I don't care what you stand for. If you're being an asshole for that thing, you're an asshole and you're ruining that thing. Yeah, agreed. Whatever you stand for, you're pissing all over it. And and not, not only that, but that that goes both ways. That doesn't just apply to to conservatives or liberals or anyone. That that literally applies to everyone. If you're an asshole, you're an asshole, regardless of what the belief system is. Oh yeah, everything I say about that stuff is across the board. Just like I said, racism is racism. Sexism sure. is sexism. You know, there's none of this, this, uh, well, because of this, it's okay for me to make fun of him because he's white. No, no, not okay. And you can, you can feel that way, but guess what? You know, the, take these, just like what we did with the science thing, you know, like uh, to take these things to the extreme and really think about it. Like, okay. So if we accept that it's okay to pick on me, you know, like I'm the representation right now, straight white male, um, it's okay to pick on me because of this power dynamic and because of this power dynamic. Well, in 30 years, say that, you know, only 10% of the U.S. population is white males. Well, guess what? Now I'm, I'm, I'm an abused minority, and now you're in the position that I'm in. And, so you, you know, haven't changed anything. You just turned it on its head, and that's gross. Yeah, you are, you are describing certain parts of the Bay Area already, actually. Totally. And that's why it's... That's why I think that things that try to overcompensate to equalize things don't work because we just have to get to a point where we go, let's just all, let's not, let's, let's stop playing the catch up game and let's just all be equal. Sure. Let's just do that now. You know, not like, well, because you did this to me for five years, I'm going to do it to you for five years. And then after that, we'll be equal. No, because that builds resentment and resentment leads to other things. At a certain point, you just have to go, fuck, this sucked. And I can't believe this happened. And I can't believe it's still happening in places. Can we stop? Can we all stop? Well, which is why it, it, it hits the nail on the head for some. So, I mean, these pens have, there's one that's lasted me like four years and I still use it. Yeah. You know what I feel? The, the other one, the other company that makes just substantial pens every time is Uniball. Mm, yeah, sure. Their, their pens are just incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll go buy We'll buy like a 12 pack for like eight bucks. I have one right here. I have a, a pack of them. How many is in here? It's got to be like 12. Of course, there's no number on the box. Oh, 12. Yeah, 12. <laughs> yeah, I've had this for a year and there are still one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of them in here. So you, you spend 10 bucks and you get like two years of pens. Yeah, 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 sure. Well, unfortunately, that probably also means that somebody in China or India is getting paid one penny a day. You know, but that's kind of relative, though. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, those conditions are awful in a lot of other countries. But um, we forget that um, a dollar here is very different than a dollar in Vietnam, for example. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm obsessed with right now? I'm obsessed with Thailand. Oh, yeah, sure. Thailand, not a rich country. Known as the land of smiles. You want to see because something they're interesting? happy. You want to see something very interesting that's the, the it, also an interesting um, sociological experiment? Look up Singapore, man. Mm. 
Yeah. And look at how a population has given up their civil liberties, but is weirdly happy and is one of the most diverse and prosperous countries uh, or sovereign nations in the world. Thailand's a monarchy, right? They don't get to vote. Yeah, sure. Yet they're like totally happy. And and by the way, if we move there, we would be loaded. You get neither. Have you ever seen? Uh, have you seen somebody feed Phil? What? No. It's a Netflix show. Somebody feed Phil. It's it's Phil no, Rosenthal. Not, he I was. I don't even know what the hell that is. Phil Rosenthal <laughs> like he, was. Like when you when you said that right now, I thought you said that wrong. So I'm like, am I hearing that wrong? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, did he just mix two sentences together? Yeah. Like, did you just have a stroke, dude? <laughs> like, what the fuck was that? Phil is Phil is okay, Phil Rosenthal. Phil. Okay. Okay. He um, was the yes the executive producer of Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, I know who Rosenthal is. Yeah. Okay, so it's it's him doing a travel show. Huh. It's it's literally like him doing Bourdain. Oh, interesting. Okay, you've got to watch it. You will. I know you love Bourdain. You will love it because it's it's great. It's the same format, except it doesn't try to be Bourdain, mm-hmm. because Phil is like the opposite. PC charger for my laptop, so I tripled. Yeah, true. But now, like, I mean, if you if you chose to, you'd never have to carry a cable for your headphones ever again. Um, at some point in the near future, laptop charging is going to change. I assume that's going to change probably in the next three or four years. Um, and yeah, the iPhone, I mean, I, I, why hasn't someone made a joint wireless dock for the phone and the watch yet? Yeah, I'm sure somebody has, to be honest. I'm sure. But... I'm sure it's out there somewhere, yeah. I don't know. I'm curious to see what direction all that stuff goes. But I agree that it is amazing how looking at my desk right now, I have a fair amount of wires, but that's because I have an external um, hard drive plugged in. I have a dongle because I need to connect everything to this laptop with a dongle. But then I have wire going to this microphone, which is unavoidable. I have wire going to the headphone. I have wire going to the computer, to the wall. And then connecting to the monitor. But my keyboard, no wire. My trackpad, no wire. So relatively, considering the complexity of my setup, relatively simple. But to be honest with you, though, I, I think it's just because the protocols and the programming hasn't caught up with the the idea yet. Um, you know, our wireless technology for, advan- for as advanced as it is just really isn't that advanced yet. You know, like the the ability to have a microphone, for example, that's wireless is not impossible. It's actually, it's there are actually mic- plenty of microphones out there that are wireless. Let's for seventy years in the same spot. Whoa! And he's like, it's 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 famous all across Thailand. I can't remember her name. It's like Jai something. Her first name is Jai. I can't remember her last name. Yeah. And he he goes in this place and like she's wearing like, you know, ski 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 goggles. Yeah. She's wearing these giant ski goggles. And she's wearing the giant ski goggles because she's cooking over an open fire indoors. Holy shit. <laughs> so she like in order not to go blind, she has these ski goggles on, right? Yeah, I was gonna say that can't be good for her, dude. So she's cooking in what's essentially a wok, but I know that since it's Thailand, it's not a wok because wok sure. is Chinese. Yeah, yeah. And it's bigger. It's way bigger. You know, like rice hats? It almost looks like a rice hat size. Yeah, I've seen those. I just got rid of a MacBook that was eight years old. And I will tell you now, the amount of power in my phone is at least double that of that laptop. Oh, yeah. 
Unbelievable. And at the same time, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, I guess in, in I wouldn't listen to any of the things that I listen to. Like Rogan, come on now. Some well, of the Jesus most ridiculous Christ. shit happens on that show. But yeah. that's why it's interesting yeah. because it's what's really happening. You know, it, I've even started to do that too with myself. Like when I listen to the podcast that I like is, I yes, I'm listening to it because of the original reason why I started listening to it and why I like it. But it's all, also now it's to kind of see, oh, okay, cool. You're talking about but, Boogie Monster, right? That's one of them, yeah. Um, it's like, oh, cool. I hear the same kind of like just sporadic nonsense that pops up in art. You know, it's like, it's not, you know, perfect. And are you clipping your toenails? What are you doing? Yeah. I figured if we were talking about being real, I might as well clip my fingernails. Well, <laughs> making sure I hear what I think I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, good ears. So it's like, you know, I just all of a sudden, um, find myself not really paying attention at times to what they're actually talking about or what they're doing, but it's like, okay, like how is it similar to what you and I do or what, you know, Mm -hmm. when you guys are doing like what you and Lamb are doing, it's like, all right, cool. It's like, not that it, you know, I would change if I didn't hear it anywhere else, but it's like, okay, cool. You know, people that are doing this in different situations, different settings and on different levels are doing the same kind of stuff we are. So it makes me feel a little bit more like, yeah, okay, fuck it, you know, just kind of go with it. Just do it. Yeah, it's like uh, I sent you that link to Back to Work that one time. Yeah. Um, Back to Work is a podcast for everybody listening. Um, Because they're nerdy in 